It is really, really good to be here with you guys this morning. I almost was not. Uh, it was an accident on 94 this morning, and I almost uh, did not get off the highway in time to get here. Uh, I almost got stuck in traffic, so I'm uh, really glad I was able to, to make it. And then, of course, when I got here, I realized I did not bring my sermon with me. Uh, so, uh, thankfully, you guys have computers and printers, and there's such a thing as the internet. Otherwise, the message was going to get super weird this morning. Uh, but uh, I am really glad to be here with you this morning. I, um, just to share something useless trivia with you about myself, uh, I don't eat breakfast on Sundays. Uh, I haven't for years and years and years. I just, I still get butterflies when I preach, and the less things that are in me, the better. <laughs> uh, so uh, I just, I don't eat breakfast on Sundays, which means by the time church is done, I am super hungry. Uh, I have discovered that on my drive home, I pass by Sweetwater Donuts. <laughs> and, and praise Jesus, they're open on Sundays, and uh, I, I have gotten into this bad habit now of stopping for a double chocolate donut on Sunday afternoons on my way home um, because I'm so hungry. In fact, I, I, honestly, talking about it, I'm a little hungry for Sweetwaters right now. Uh, anybody else? Oh, good, I did what I was planning to do. Excellent. Uh, I want to talk to you about what we're hungry for today. What is it that we are really hungry for? We live in a world that is full of hurt and fear and division and anger and hate and pride, and, and we need something in the midst of all of that to anchor us, something to bring healing to us, something that will be a stable foundation for our lives, and that something is the way of Jesus. And so over the, the course of the last few weeks and over the course of the next few weeks, we're talking about the Jesus way. Because Jesus calls us as his people, as the people of God, to seek his kingdom first, and to follow his way of living. And he gives us this kind of set of eight foundational truths that are the base, the, the, the bedrock of the Jesus way of living. They are eight ways that connect us to God, to each other, to Jesus, and to his kingdom. We call them the Beatitudes, and they're in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, the word Beatitude... Um, if you've been following along with us the last few weeks, you already know this, but the word beatitude comes from the Latin word for blessing or blessed, because that's how each beatitude starts, right? With Jesus saying, blessed are you, and then he presents to us a, a blessing, eight of them in total. But blessing, as Jesus understands it, and as the Bible understands it, and as we should understand it, is not about um, any kind of wealth or power, or ease, or comfort, or privilege, or prestige, or the accumulation of things, or nothing like that, uh, despite what um, the world might think about blessing. In the Bible, and in Jesus' dialogue in the Bible, in fact, almost every time the word's used in, in the New Testament, blessing has to do not with stuff, but with relationship. And so when we talk through the Jesus way, and we talk through the Beatitudes, and Jesus says to us, blessed are you, we're hearing him say uh, that, that when you live like this, you find yourself in relationship with God. And, and so we've been working on this kind of definition of blessing 
where blessing is not possessions or comfort or ease or anything like that, but it is a state of divine joy based on nearness to God that does not depend on worldly situations or material possessions. That's what blessing is to us. It is a state of divine joy based on nearness to God that does not depend on worldly situations or material possessions. So we've gone into Matthew chapter 5 and we've seen these blessings that Jesus has for us, these, these things that bring us into relationship with God. We, we started um, a few weeks ago with uh, the first of them that says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are humble before God, those who recognize they need God, those who know they cannot do everything on their own. Uh, Two weeks ago, we talked about blessed are those who mourn, which is kind of a strange thing to say. Blessed are those who mourn. Jesus says, blessed are they, for they will be comforted. And when we are willing to lay bare our mourning and our, our, our hurt before God, especially the hurt over our own sins, we find that God is there to meet us in the midst of our hurt, to, to hurt alongside of us, to mourn alongside of us, and to bring comfort to us. And then last week, we, we took a look at that, that word that we don't use very much in, in everyday life, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are, who are gentle like Jesus. Blessed are those who are under God's control because they are the ones who will inherit the earth. Contrary to, to popular opinion and the way that we think that the world works, Jesus says it's those who are gentle, those who are self-controlled who will inherit God's earth. And so now we come to um, the fourth of the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes are kind of divided up. The first four Beatitudes are kind of about how we relate to God. And so this is the last part of this set, and the next week we'll go on to the next four Beatitudes, which are kind of how we relate to other people. So in in the fourth Beatitude, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus says to us today, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus is speaking in his original context on this hillside in Galilee to a a group of people, a crowd of people who understand to the very core of their being what it is like to be hungry and thirsty in a way that you and I probably never will. I I mean, I'm hungry after church on Sunday mornings, so I go get myself a donut. But I'm not hungry like first century impoverished people living in Galilee under the boot of oppression of Herod and of Caesar who have had everything taken from them, who are eking out an incredibly meager existence. And I love that when Jesus interacts with people like this, very often he ends up feeding them. We have multiple stories in the New Testament uh, of Jesus feeding people, satisfying their hunger and thirst. But Jesus says here to this group of people who know hunger and who know thirst, that there is something that we can hunger and thirst for and be filled. Because the average person listening to them, they know hunger, they know thirst, but they don't know being filled. But Jesus tells them, if you hunger and thirst for this, you will know what it is like 
to be filled. Righteousness, Jesus tells them. Hunger and thirst for this righteousness, and you will find something that will fill you and satisfy you. What is righteousness? Well, righteousness um, kind of has a, a, a floating definition. It kind of morphs from time to time, but, but at its core, righteousness has to do with, with God's divine law and with following that divine law, living in accordance with God's law and God's will. But also tied to that is a, a deep and passionate desire to see the way of God lived out in not only my own life, but in the world around me. And so when Jesus says, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he's saying, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for doing things God's way. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst to live according to what God has taught you and to do God things into the world in which you live. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, and it is so, so vital. In fact, this beatitude out of all of the other eight gets talked about almost immediately again in the Sermon on the Mount. Inside the same chapter, inside chapter 5 and verse 20, Jesus says this to that same audience about righteousness. He says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Without righteousness, Jesus says, it is impossible to enter the kingdom of heaven. And and righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the, the religious elite of Jesus' day, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, Jesus says, unless your desire for righteousness goes beyond, goes beyond their play acting of religion, unless your, your hunger and thirsting for righteousness goes beyond what, what you see these people doing, it's not enough. Our, our desire for righteousness must be so deep in us that it, it consumes us like a great hunger, like a great thirst, like a a great longing. And so as we hunger and thirst for righteousness, and we ask ourselves, what does that mean? It means, first, that we must long to know God's righteousness. We must long to know God's righteousness. We need God's divine law as part of our, uh, our lives, our makeup. It has to be woven into the very fabric of who we are. And we need his righteousness, his mercy, his justice to be alive in us. That we might live rightly, morally, and justly. That is, that we might live opposed to worldly ways. The entirety of the New Testament on nearly every page of the, of the letters of the New Testament, we are, we are encouraged and exhorted and warned to leave behind the ways of the world and to embrace the ways of righteousness, the ways of Jesus, the ways of the kingdom. 
Paul calls us in, in a lot of his writings without actually using the phrase, but he calls us to hunger and thirst for righteousness, for God's divine law and justice to be lived out in our lives. In fact, he goes to great length on occasion to, to show us what that looks like. And, and often in his writings, we'll kind of juxtapose um, the world's way of thinking and the world's way of living to God's way of thinking and God's way of living. And one of those places, one of those, one of those great places, one of my favorite places to see that happen is in Colossians chapter 3. And so I want to share with you um, Quite a lengthy passage out of Colossians chapter 3. I want to share with you the first 14 verses of that chapter. I'm not going to make a lot of commentary on it because the Bible speaks for itself very plainly here. But, but listen, as, as Paul um, kind of expounds on Jesus' instruction to us to hunger and thirst for righteousness, what does that look like? What does it look like to long to know God's righteousness. This is what Paul says it looks like when we know God's righteousness in our own lives. He says this, Colossians chapter 3, beginning in the first verse, he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore. I love the word therefore. Let me pause just for a second. Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, remember what it's there for. All right? So put to death, therefore, because of all the things we've just talked about, because you've been raised with Christ, because you've set your your heart and your mind on things above, since you're going to be resurrected with Christ, therefore, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator." Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, therefore, therefore since all of these things are true and therefore since we have taken off these old things, what shall we do now? Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with desire, long for, hunger and thirst for. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. 
This is what Paul thinks it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. To recognize that we belong to Christ. We have been buried with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. We have our minds set on Christ. So we're going to say goodbye to all of the worldly ways of living. And we're going to say hello to all of the God ways of living. We're going to uh, embrace compassion, kindness, gentleness, humility, peacefulness, truthfulness, forgiveness. We're going to long for those things. We're going to know those things in our own lives. Paul says that, that this is what it looks like when he hungers and thirsts for righteousness and what it ought to look like when we hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is what God's righteousness looks like when it is lived out in your life and my life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who understand the therefores. Therefore, since we are in Christ, we're saying goodbye to this stuff. Therefore, since we have said goodbye to this stuff, we're going to say welcome to this stuff. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But that is only part of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Yes, we want God's righteousness in our own lives. We want to live as righteous people. We want to be obedient to his divine law and to live according to his way. Yes, we want to hunger and thirst for righteousness personally. We long to know God's righteousness, but we must also long to share God's righteousness. We long to know God's righteousness, but we must also long to share God's righteousness. It is not enough to just know God's righteousness personally if I am not willing to share God's righteousness with the world. One of my favorite verses from the Old Testament is such a, a powerful and instructional verse for us. It's Micah chapter 6, verse 8, and it says this, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Here's the answer. To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. To walk humbly with God is what we have been talking about, to know God's righteousness in our own lives. But we must also talk about loving mercy and doing justice. That's what we mean when we talk about sharing God's righteousness with our world. In fact, God gets really angry. In fact, God's anger boils over to the point that I would call furiousness. God gets really furious with his own people, with the people of God who are only interested in personal righteousness and have no interest in doing what is righteous. Again, from the Old Testament, here is what God speaks to his people through the prophet Isaiah. Uh, this is how the book of Isaiah opens. This is chapter 1 of Isaiah, and if this is how it opens, it just gets more from here. Listen to how Isaiah begins his, pro his book of prophecy. 
Isaiah delivers this word from God to the people in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling on my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me, and I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. God says to a group of people um, who seem very pious, who seem very religious, who seem, who seem very righteous, who come before God with offerings and with prayers, who come before him at the right times with the right words, who come before him with many assemblies and festivals, he says to them, I don't want it. It has become a burden to me that I will no longer bear because you are only interested in a form of personal righteousness, but you are unwilling to do what is righteous in the world. So learn to do what is right, he says. Seek justice and defend those who cannot defend themselves. Take up their causes and plead their cases. And just in case you think that this is an Old Testament kind of thing, the New Testament agrees wholly with this concept. Jesus encourages us in his own life and in his teachings to care for the naked, for the hungry, for the thirsty, for the sick, for the prisoner, for the stranger. His brother James exhorts us in his book, to look after widows and orphans, saying that this is religion that is pure and pleasing to God, and then encourages us to be a people who do not show favoritism, but to love everyone with the love of God equally. The Apostle Paul calls on his readers again and again and again to help the poor, to help the elderly, to do good in the world around them. The New Testament and the Old Testament agree that the righteousness of God is not something that we can keep for ourselves, but that when we hunger and thirst, when we long for God's righteousness, we must long to live it out in front of others, to live it out on behalf of others, to bring mercy, as Micah says, and justice, as Micah says, into the world. So often we think of justice um, through the lens of the American um, uh, criminal system, where justice usually 
equals some kind of punishment. But in the Bible, justice almost always equals some kind of relief. Justice equals some kind of of blessing or benefit to those who have been treated unjustly. We need to hunger and thirst for God's righteousness in a way that causes us to love mercy and to do justice. And I know, I know that we're never going to make everything in the world okay. Cannot happen. Until Jesus comes back, there will be problems Jesus said so. But that doesn't mean we don't get to try. A Christian who is only interested in personal righteousness is no Christian. We must long for righteousness in our world. We must work for mercy and for justice. In his wonderful, wonderful book, Reading While Black, Professor Esau McCulley writes these words. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness is nothing less than the continued longing for God to come and set things right. It is a vision of a just society established by God that does not waver in the face of evidence to the contrary. We believe in justice and we believe in righteousness and we believe that those things can happen because God is at work in his world through his church empowered by his spirit. Will they happen perfectly? No. Will they happen completely? Not until Christ returns. But in the face of almost overwhelming evidence to the contrary, we still believe that righteousness is possible. We still believe that it is worth living righteously ourselves and sharing righteousness in the form of mercy and justice with the world around us. That is why we pray again and again and again and again, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I don't know about you, but when I pray that, I'm not praying a someday kind of prayer. I'm asking for God to make that a reality today. In my own world, in my own life, in my own family, in my own work, among my own acquaintances and friends. God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done today, on earth, now, as it is in heaven. And as we pray that, may we understand that we are to be the beginning of the answer to our own prayer. When we ask God, Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we ought to hear the Father respond to us, yes, even so, you go and start this work and I will be with you. You help to bring my kingdom. You help to bring my will, my son and my spirit, my grace and my love, my compassion and my strength and my power will go with you. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done through us, here and now, in part, to whatever degree it can, and someday fully. And so we keep doing justice in the world. We keep showing mercy in the world. We keep pleading the case of the oppressed and the widow and the orphan so that they may be filled with righteousness. So that they may understand that there is a moral and divine God who loves them unconditionally and calls them to know him as a father so that they may come to know Jesus and be transformed by him to live righteously and to help others do the same in turn. And the promise that Jesus gives us is that when we live like this, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, both in our own lives and in the world around us, that we will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Actually, to be honest, we will be filled no matter what with whatever it is that we long for. We will be filled by whatever we hunger for. This is why it is so important to hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's why it's so important to hunger and thirst for the things of God. It's why it's so important to hunger and thirst for Jesus. Because we will be filled by whatever it is that we hunger for. And so Jesus invites us to hunger for him, and to hunger for his kingdom, and to hunger for his things. He says this in the Gospel of John. John chapter 6, verse 32 through 35, Jesus said to them all, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus invites us to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to hunger and thirst for his way and his way alone, to hunger and thirst for him and for a relationship with him, because he fills us like nothing else can. Oh, we can hunger and thirst for other things, and we do, and we will be filled by them, but not the way Jesus can fill us. Ultimately, being filled by the things of the world will leave a gaping hole in us. We will find ourselves hungry again because these things cannot satisfy. Not wealth. It cannot satisfy us. The Bible says, do not put your trust in money, which is so fleeting. Not our work. That cannot ultimately satisfy us. The Bible says that we should say, if it is God's will, we will go here or there and carry on business. Not military strength or arm strength or power that comes from violence. 
The Bible says that some may trust in horses and some may trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Not even personal strength will fill us. Personal health, not even that will fill us up. Paul says that personal training is of some little value. Not political parties nor worldly leaders chasing after these things will not fill us. The Bible says, do not put your trust in princes. Not our leisure nor our entertainment will fill us. Solomon woefully cries out that these things are meaningless. Not safety nor security will fill us. After all, the Bible teaches that our life is but a vapor. We are like grass, like flowers of the field which bloom and then fade away. Not any kind of personal wisdom, doing things my way, will save us. For there is a way that seems right to a man, but it ultimately leads to destruction, so the scripture warns us. Listen, we will end up being filled by whatever we hunger and thirst for. Whatever we chase will become what we are, but it will never be enough. We will always need more. If we chase after wealth, we will always need more. If we chase after safety, we will always need more. If we chase after politics, we will always need more. If we chase after ourselves, we will always need more. But if we chase after the things of God, if we hunger and thirst for his righteousness, then we will be filled. How can you tell? How can you tell what you're hungry for? You ever have that moment where you get up and you go to the fridge or go to the cupboard and you open it up and you just stand there? I did that the other day. I opened up the fridge and I just looked at it and I had no idea. It's all sorts of things in front of me. Meats and cheeses, pickles and chocolate, water, milk, juice, vegetables, vegetables. There's all sorts of things there. I had no idea what I was hungry or thirsty for. How do we know whether we're hungry and thirsty for the things of God or hungering and thirsting for the things of the world? Well, very simply, we watch what we give our time to. We watch what we give our time to. Where we spend our time will tell us what we're hungering and thirsting for. That's why the writer of Hebrews, as Paul said this morning, we have no idea who he or she may be, but that's why the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 12, the first two verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes where? On Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Throw off whatever hinders you. Throw off whatever is begging you to hunger and thirst after it and stealing your time and your attention away from hungering and thirsting for righteousness and fix yourself on Jesus. What are we fixed on? What are you hungry for? Is it righteousness? Are you sure? How can you tell? How can you tell?
In order to help us tell, here are our action steps this week. I'm going to do these two things this week. I'm going to invite you to do these two things with me this week that hopefully will help us understand better what we are hungering and thirsting for. The first one is simply a prayer request. I want to invite you to pray with me this week. And would you pray very simply with me, Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, which says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Would you pray that prayer with me every day this week, multiple times throughout the day? Make it, make it flood your mind and your heart. Write it down and tape it above your desk or, or, or or make it the background of your computer screen, or, or, or put a little sticky note on the dash of your car. Take a Sharpie marker right on your shower. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Make that your prayer this week. And, and then I'd like to invite you to do this with me this week too. This is just good practice from time to time. I think it's helpful. Would you keep track of how you spend your time this week? Write it down. I mean, I know that you have to sleep, and I, I know that you have to eat, and I know that, that many of you have to work or, or go to school in some way. But what do you do with the rest of your time? Would you keep track? How much time are you giving to the internet? How much time to news? How much to your television or to entertainment? How much time do you give to your family? How much time do you give to yourself? How much time do you give to prayer or to the scriptures or to serving others? Just check. No judgment. You don't have to turn it in. I swear I'm not going to check your work. But just for yourself. Just find out and see. What are you focused on? What am I focused on? What are we hungering and thirsting for? By the way, if you hear me ask that and, and you think to yourself, that's really silly, I don't think that I need to do that, I promise you that's not true. It's good for us to find out now and again to take our own blinders off, our own rose-colored glasses as we examine our own lives. Oh, we think that we are righteous. We think that we give so much of ourselves to God, but in reality, I have a feeling that many of us give very little of our time to God and a lot to something else. The world is hungry and thirsty, and it's chasing after so many things that it thinks will fill it freedoms and rights and power and wealth and control and influence and entertainment and happiness. But what if we hungered and thirsted for something else? What if we hungered for Jesus, for his righteousness in our own lives and his justice and mercy in the lives of others? A group of people who hungered and thirsted for that absolutely changed the world once upon a time. What if we hungered and thirsted for Jesus 
like they did. Too often the church is hungry and thirsty for the same stuff as everyone else around us. But if we would hunger and thirst for righteousness, if we were filled with Jesus, wouldn't it, don't you think, change the world again? Father, we thank you for the word of your son, Jesus, that he speaks on that hillside 2,000 years ago, those words that still resonate with us today, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the things of God. Blessed are those who, who hunger and thirst to live according to your divine law. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst to see mercy and justice done in the lives of their neighbors. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Father, fill us. Fill us, we pray. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. In the name of Jesus. Amen.